Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to see all of you here this morning. I am so glad you decided to join us. I want to welcome all of you here, as well as those of you watching online, and I especially want to welcome anyone who may be new to our church. Uh, There are a lot of things happening at Plum Creek right now, a lot of exciting things. Many of you know that our new building is getting very close to completion, and in case you haven't heard, this new building has a name, and we're calling it the Life Center, uh, because this is what we're about. This building will be a tool that helps to lead people to new life in Christ. Uh, The Life Center will be a home for our student ministry, uh, for the Plum Creek Sharing Center, for adult Bible studies and other small groups and all kinds of events. And if you want to learn more about this facility or you want to help us complete this project, you can go to plumcreek.org slash the Life Center. There's a lot of good info there. Uh, But for the moment, though, I just want to invite you to an open house that's happening happening on May 16th. Uh, This is going to be a party. Uh, After either one of our services, you'll have a chance to walk through the Life Center and see it for yourself. And we're going to invite the community to join us. We'll give out free burgers and hot dogs, and uh, I'm just looking forward to that day. And I have to tell you that God has really blessed us here. It's an amazing thing that we've been able to build the Life Center in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, So we thank God for this blessing, and we want to use this building for his glory. But there there are other exciting things happening around here. Uh, I'm also excited about the new sermon series that begins today. It's called Don't Give Up, and it's about relationships. Uh, We're going to talk about marriage, about parenting, We'll talk about relationships within the church and our relationship with God himself. And we're going to be realistic here. Uh, Sometimes relationships are tough. Uh, Some days uh, you just feel like giving up. But we're, we're going to use a verse as kind of a theme for this series. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. That verse says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I love the honesty here. This verse acknowledges the fact that, yes, we do get weary, and we can grow tired of doing good, but we have to remember that harvest. If we keep doing those good things that God has called us to do, we will eventually see a payoff. Sooner or later, we will be blessed and God will get the glory. So we're going to apply this concept to several different relationships in our lives. And today we're talking about marriage. And let me just say right from the beginning here, uh, I realize that for some of us, this is a difficult topic. Some of you saw the the title of today's sermon and you were not excited. Uh, Even if uh, this is tough for you, though. I believe that God has a word of encouragement for you today. Even if you're single, even if you're divorced or widowed, even if you never get married, it's beneficial for all of us to look at marriage from God's perspective. This was all his idea. And God created marriage to be this beautiful blessing. And we want to come together as a church and do what we can to help marriages get stronger because that's what God wants. 
Now, unfortunately, not every marriage feels beautiful. And if that's you, if your marriage is not in a good place, and there are days when you just want to throw in the towel, uh, let me give these words of encouragement to you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Now, when I say that, I want to be clear. If you are being mistreated or abused and you do not feel safe in your marriage, I'm not telling you to sit back and just take that abuse. In fact, I would tell you to get out of that situation and get some help. Uh, You could reach out to any of us here on staff, and we will connect you with someone who can help. But I want to be clear also about the fact that God has created marriage to be this unique relationship that lasts for a lifetime, till death do us part. At the same time, though, uh, till death do us part does not come easy. It's tough because marriage is hard work. Sometimes we do get weary, but we can't forget that at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So here's the game plan. We're going to take two weeks in this series to look at marriage. Uh, Today, we'll talk about the big picture. Uh, we'll, We'll talk about God's original plan for marriage. And then next week, we'll, we'll talk about the day-to-day realities of living out God's plan. But let's start with that big picture. We're going to cover three areas this morning. Uh, we'll cover the meaning of marriage, the mandate of marriage, and the mystery of marriage. Meaning, mandate, and mystery. Three M's. I'm really happy today because preachers love alliteration. Uh, so, Let's get into that first M. What is the meaning of marriage? What's it all about? Well, in my sermon a couple weeks ago, I read from Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus gives this great explanation of marriage. In Matthew 19, a group of Pharisees come to Jesus, and they ask him about divorce. And as usual, the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. And as usual, he sets them straight. So let's pick up the story in Matthew 19, verse 3. Read along with me. It says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus replied, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife? And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And those last four words are very important. Let no one separate. In other words, don't give up. But there are several interesting things happening here. Uh, The Pharisees are referring to an argument that was happening among Jewish rabbis of that time. Uh, Some of the rabbis thought that a husband should be able to divorce his wife for extremely trivial reasons, like if she happened to ruin their dinner, or if she was out in the street talking to other men, or if she said critical things about her husband's parents. And Jesus is saying, no, let's talk about the original meaning of marriage. And so he goes back to the Old Testament. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 1, 
which says that God created humanity with two separate genders, male and female. And then Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 2, where it says that a man will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And Jesus goes on to say, according to God's plan, this union should never be broken. It should last for a lifetime. So there you have God's definition of marriage. One man and one woman united with each other in a covenant relationship for life. Now, we need to talk about the word covenant. Covenant is a Bible word. It's a loving agreement between two parties that binds them together permanently. And the model for a covenant relationship comes from God himself. Throughout history, when God establishes a relationship with his people, he does that through a covenant. And God created marriage to be a mirror of the covenant relationship between him and his people. And based on that original purpose, marriage is not about me. It's not even about us. It's about God. And of course, we don't just drift into a God-centered marriage. That's not what comes naturally. The natural thing is to look at marriage from a self-centered perspective. We want to know, what's in this for me? I'm going into this relationship because I want to be happy. I want to feel in love. In my younger years, that's exactly what I was looking for. From the very first day I was interested in girls, I was pursuing that feeling of being in love. Uh, Back in middle school, I had two major crushes. First, I set my sights on a girl named Jenny Standard. Now, Jenny uh, sat right in front of me in Mr. Jaworski's class, and I just thought she was beautiful. And on a very good day, Jenny would turn around and we would have a conversation. And on those good days, I would make her laugh, and I would convince myself that she was falling for me. And that was the most amazing feeling. In fact, uh, I can remember being at church in a service like this one, And I would pray to God and I would say, Lord, please let tomorrow be one of those good days with Jenny. Eventually, though, things took kind of a bad turn. One day I overheard Jenny talking to one of her friends and her friend said, so do you like Doug? And you know what she meant by that, right? She was asking if Jenny liked me, liked me. But immediately Jenny answered, and she said, oh, no, Doug is just a friend. And, of course, my heart just sank. Jenny took my feelings, and she stuffed them into the trash. But you got to move on, right? So then in seventh grade, I sat in Mrs. Miller's class, and my eyes landed on a girl named Lori Schlievert. And things went a lot better this time. Uh, I had a crush on Lori, and wonder of wonders, she had a crush on me, too. And you talk about a good feeling. When you are in middle school, and you like, like someone, and they like, like you in return, I mean, it's kind of electric, isn't it? Well, it wasn't long before Lori and I were a thing. Uh, But once our relationship was official, guess what happened? All of those electric feelings, they just evaporated. 
because we both discovered we didn't really have much in common. We didn't have much to talk about. And when we both agreed the feelings were gone, we just called it quits. Now, I mentioned these two crushes because they were early examples of doing what comes naturally in relationships. The natural thing is that self-focus. We go after the feeling of being in love. We want the spark. But do you see the problem here? If you just do what comes naturally, uh, we pursue relationships in a way that leads to disillusionment and even heartbreak. Now, with Jenny, I had the tingly, lovey-dovey feelings, but she didn't. So that relationship ended before it even started. And that was completely appropriate because we weren't in a covenant relationship. And then with Lori, we both had those tingly, lovey-dovey feelings at first. But those feelings evaporated and we parted ways. And that was also appropriate because we weren't in a covenant relationship. But what if we take these self-centered feelings What if we take that feelings-based approach out of middle school and into a marriage? Well, that kind of marriage is always unstable because as soon as the feeling is gone, either party is likely to give up at any moment. And that's why this word covenant is so important. We need to look at the difference between a covenant and a contract. A contract works like this. It's a mindset that says, if you do, I will. If you do, I will. A contract says, if you live up to my terms, then yes, I will keep this agreement. But if you don't, I won't. See, a a contract is a tool to make sure that I get what's coming to me. Does this other person make me happy? Does this other person do enough work around the house or make enough money? If my terms aren't met, if I don't get what I want, the deal is off. Now, a covenant is a completely different thing. A covenant says, even if I will. Even if I lose those tingly feelings that I used to have. Even if you don't live up to my terms, I will continue to love you. I will continue to honor this commitment. Now, back in Matthew 19... The only exception that Jesus mentions is sexual immorality. If your spouse has an affair, that can break the covenant. But you might say, well, this whole covenant idea, it sounds like it leaves me vulnerable. And yes, that's true. But a covenant is based on grace. And God put himself in that same position when he offered us grace through Jesus. He, he ran the risk of being hurt and rejected by us. And, and according to God, the risk of vulnerability is worth the promise of genuine love. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If only one person in the marriage is on board with this covenant idea, it's going to be rough. But if both the husband and the wife operate with a covenant mindset, There is a freedom and a safety and a love that you cannot find any other way. And this is why God tells us that sexual activity should only happen within that marriage relationship. 
that the oneness of marriage is preserved and protected and cultivated through a true covenant marriage. And for all of these reasons, you don't want to enter into a covenant with just anybody. When you are choosing a spouse, you want to be very intentional. You want to find someone with integrity, somebody you can trust. But for a couple who is already married, uh, this one decision truly can change your life. You can choose to see your marriage as a covenant instead of a contract. Now, we need to move on to our second M, the mandate of marriage. What mandate has God given us? What are his specific instructions for husbands and wives? And to answer that question, we need to flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to give you a heads up. Um, With every passing year, this passage becomes less and less popular in our culture. And that's okay. Uh, Like I've said many times, God's word is always countercultural in one way or another. And if we are serious about following Jesus, we need to let God shape us through his word. We, we can't try to manipulate scripture so that it fits our preferences or our opinions or feelings. We can't change the Bible to make it line up with popular opinion. So let's, let's be open to hear what God has to say. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 21. Now, you might have a heading in your Bible that says, Instructions for Christian Households. And remember that. The Apostle Paul is writing specifically to Christians here. Uh, That's that's very important. Uh, These instructions are not addressed to the world at large. So let's read. In verse 21, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so far so good. Submit to one another. Uh, That may not be easy, but at least it's fair. You submit to me, and I submit to you. But Paul keeps going. Let's read on, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, so there it is, right? There's the controversy. Submission. Headship. Some people hear that and they get angry. Others hear it and they just laugh because it seems so outdated. And then for some of us, these verses are just uncomfortable. And and trust me, there are good reasons why these verses might make you uncomfortable. Because all too often, This concept of submission has been twisted into something that God never intended. Uh, When a husband has not surrendered his own life to Christ, this idea is a disaster. But remember, these verses are written to followers of Jesus. And this only makes sense in the context of a true Christian marriage when both parties are surrendered to Jesus and they're serving each other out of reverence for him. And before we move on, let's make sure we understand what submission does not mean. Submission does not mean that you have to agree with everything that your husband says. 
submission does not mean that you have to leave your brain or your will or your gifts and talents at the wedding altar. And submission definitely doesn't mean that you allow your husband's desires to take precedence over the desires of Jesus. God is not telling you to submit to anything that involves sin. So that's a list of what submission is not, but what is it? Well, I found a definition that might be helpful. Biblical submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Now, there's a lot we could talk about here. And if you're a wife, you might feel like you've got the tough assignment. But let's take a second and see God's mandate for husbands. Let's read on, starting with verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So if the key word for wives is submission, what's the key word for husbands? Well, the word has to be sacrifice, right? Husbands, you are called to serve and love and sacrifice like Jesus, and he gave everything. He laid down his life. And that does mean, if necessary, you would die for your wife. But it also means that you lay down your life in smaller ways. In your marriage, if anybody has to take a hit, if anybody has to make a tough call, if anybody has to take initiative, you will be ready and willing to do it. So when you look at these instructions for both husbands and wives— What is the mandate for marriage? Well, it comes down to those key words, submission and sacrifice. And like I said, this framework is not very popular in our current culture. And these days, the opposition is not just against a wife submitting to her husband. There is a, a growing number of people who want to eliminate any distinction between the role of a husband and the role of a wife. Uh, they would say that married couples should just divide up those roles however they want to. And it's been very interesting to see our culture downplay the special responsibility of a husband to protect his wife and to be the one to sacrifice. You can see this trend when you watch animated movies. You might hear a Disney princess say something like, I don't need a hero. I don't need some man to save me. I'll take care of myself, thank you very much. And and listen, it is a great thing when we see courage and strength in women and girls. There's no doubt about that. But for just a second, I want to tell you about a tragic accident that happened several years ago. In 2012, a cruise ship named the Costa Concordia was off the coast of Italy when it struck an underwater rock. The ship capsized, and it sunk in shallow waters. And when it was all over, 33 people lost their lives. 
Now, a man named Edwin Gerd was on board that ship with his wife. Edwin was a 64-year-old retired policeman. And when he was interviewed later, he told reporters that while the ship was sinking, some of the men on board started to panic And they raced past terrified women and children in order to get to the lifeboats first. Now, I want to ask you, does that seem right to you? I think most of us would agree that in a situation like that, the men should sacrifice their own safety for the sake of the women and the children. And I believe that conviction is based on certain roles that God established from the very beginning. So for all the husbands who are listening right now, I have a question specifically for you. Men, are you willing to die for your wife? Would you take a bullet for her? I'm confident that most husbands would say, sure, I would do that. Now, if you look at the odds... It probably won't come to that. I I hope it doesn't come to that. But that, that, that doesn't mean we're off the hook because sacrifice has to be a part of normal, everyday life. And that means if you are willing to take a bullet for your wife, you're also willing to put down the phone when she asks you a question. And if you're willing to take a bullet for your wife, you're also willing to turn off the game if she asks you to go for a walk. It's just common sense, right? If you are literally willing to die for your wife, then it's not really a big deal to pray out loud with her, is it? And I want you to know, I'm preaching to myself here. When it comes to laying down my life for the sake of my wife, I have a lot of growing to do. But I do know this, for husbands and wives, as your marriage grows in sacrifice and submission, your marriage will also grow in joy and intimacy and authentic love. And I'm not saying that it's easy to navigate all the complexities of living this out. Uh, There are lots of complicated issues here, and it's often helpful to talk to a third party like a Christian counselor or a minister that you can trust. But I also have to go back to what I said earlier. Outside of Christ, none of this works. It just doesn't make sense. And that's why so many people in the world resist these ideas. Submission and sacrifice are dirty words because these ideas make you vulnerable. It feels like you're giving up your own happiness. And it is true. If just one person in a marriage has a selfish heart instead of a servant's heart, it's not going to be a happy marriage. But if both the husband and the wife are surrendered to Christ and she's willing to submit and he's willing to sacrifice, they're going to build the kind of marriage that's not only happy, it will be the kind of marriage that points other people to Jesus. And that takes us to the third and final M, the mystery of marriage. As we bring this to a close, I want to consider a challenging question. What if marriage is less about us and more about Jesus? We need to read just two more verses in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 31, Paul follows the example of Jesus and he quotes the same words from Genesis chapter 2. Check it out. He says, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's the third time that's in the Bible. And then Paul goes on and he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Okay, now what is the mystery here? Well, the primary mystery that Paul is talking about is the union between Jesus and the church. That union is another relationship where two become one. The church is the body of Christ. He is the head and we are the body. The church is also the bride of Christ. He is the groom and we are the bride. And so what does that mean in a marriage between two human beings? Well, it goes back to something I said earlier. God created marriage to be a mirror of the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. And this takes things to a whole new level. In a Christian marriage, we're not just trying to stay together and be happy. We're showing the world how much Christ loves the church. And how can we display that kind of love? Well, in some ways, it's counterintuitive. Because at first glance, we might assume that a marriage grows stronger when a husband and wife focus on each other. But that's not the best plan. I want to show you a diagram that I saw years and years ago. This diagram is sometimes called the marriage triangle. And we start with a husband and a wife. And right here, they're doing what seems to make sense. They're focusing on each other. But when we pursue each other, it's kind of strange. In one way or another, we end up missing the mark. Things just don't work out for the best. And why is that? Well, it's because we were all created with a higher purpose. We were made to pursue Christ. And when husbands and wives pursue Christ together, you see what happens? They grow closer and closer to each other. That relationship is blessed because the focus is in the right place. Your life is not about you. It's not about your marriage. It's about God. It's about the pursuit of Christ. And this is true whether you're married or single. You will never find another human being who can complete you. Only Jesus will complete you. And listen, I get it. If you are married to someone who is not at all interested in following Jesus, that's tough. But if you're in that situation, you can still find your identity in Christ, no matter what your spouse does. And you can also pray that the day will come when you and your spouse are both on the same page and you both make Jesus your priority. Because when that happens, it's an amazing thing. Now, I know that some people would look at this diagram and they'd say, that's simplistic. And some people would say, it doesn't work that way in real life. But I also know that many people in this church have taken this exact approach to marriage, and we've learned that it's true. When two people are united under God's definition of marriage— And those two people are growing to become like Jesus, not through their own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. The potential is amazing. There is the potential for the deepest and most intimate relationship that we can experience with another human. And there's also the potential to fulfill a higher calling. 
Because a husband and a wife can be a mirror of the covenant relationship between Christ and the church. And you know what? That is worth fighting for. So don't give up on marriage. I hope you'll come back next week because we'll get into the nuts and bolts of how to practice your promise. And between now and then, I encourage you to have some conversations about this. If you're in a huddle group, uh, we have a new discussion guide for this new series. And you can pick that up on your way out today. They're at the tables out beyond the main entrance. And we can also get you a digital copy if you need that. And if you're not in a huddle, uh, just get a couple of friends together and, and grab this guide and take the time to study and pray and apply God's word to your life. Uh, you might even want to go through this guide with your spouse. I think that could be a good thing. And I am really looking forward to see what God does over the next few weeks because I know he has a plan to do great things in our relationships. And at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Father, I know that your word and your plan is often different than uh, our feelings or different than what's popular in the world. But Lord, we acknowledge that you know what's best at all times and you see a bigger picture than we ever do. So Lord, help us to surrender to you, to your will, and, and be willing to be transformed to become who you want us to be. To, to see our relationships become what you want them to be. I pray for these things to happen in our church, and I pray that we will reflect who you are, that we will represent you well in a world that needs you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.